Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. This is Sarah Powers. I am solo today without my co-host, Megan Francis, because you are listening to one of our Voices interview episodes. We do interviews on the first Friday of every month, and we try to bring you conversations with moms and women and authors and experts in the parenting space that offer something that maybe Megan and I can't speak to personally. Um, And today's conversation is no different. I am talking with Casey Clifford. I met Casey at this year's Mom 2.0 conference. She is a singer-songwriter and a writer and a storyteller and a mom of two from Oklahoma City. Um, And today we are talking about her journey with infertility. So this is a topic that we have gotten many, many requests to cover over the years. And since it isn't something Megan or I experienced personally, we wanted to bring somebody on who could speak really honestly about the heartbreak and the struggle of infertility, the process of going through fertility treatments, and just somebody who would share their story in a really honest way. Now we know, all of us, Megan and I and Casey, that no one fertility or infertility fertility story represents all of those out there. We know that not all of them have happy endings, that there's a lot of grief and loss. And so that's something that we're aware of and want to be sensitive to today. Having said that, Casey's story involves quite a bit of fertility treatment. It involves the cost. And we talk about her marriage. We talk about becoming a mom later in life. We talk about motherhood after infertility. So there are some themes throughout Casey's story that I think those of you with friends who've gone through this or those of you who've been through it yourselves will really see um, as kind of a common experience. And so that is what we're hoping with today's interview. I do want to give a little heads up that because of today's topic, Casey and I go into a little bit of detail about um, how babies are conceived the old fashioned way, what kind of help she and her husband had to have medically. Um, And so if those are topics that you think are sensitive for little ears or that might bring up questions that you don't feel like answering today, um, you have been warned. It is technically a very G-rated conversation, but at the same time, um, these discussions involve things like intimacy and marriage and, you know, surgery and all these kinds of things. So just giving you a heads up there. Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay heeled sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah. And let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. 
Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Hi, Casey. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited about having you on the show and about our conversation today. It's um, really important and a topic that we've had many listeners request from us. And I just feel like you kind of came into our life. We'll talk a little more about that later, but I'm just so glad that you are the voice that um, we get to talk today about infertility with. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm really excited to to be that voice and it's an honor to get to talk about the topic. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to kind of go into your infertility journey, but before we do that, just briefly tell our listeners where you are now, where you live and who lives in your house with you and just a little bit about what you do for work. So we'll, we'll, we'll see the present day and then we'll go back <laughs> a little bit. Sure. Um, I live in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma, um, with my husband, David and my two children, Beatrice, who is almost seven and Hollis who just turned four. Um, I am a singer, songwriter, and storyteller by trade and by passion. <laughs> and um, I make records and tell stories and uh, I've, I do a lot of writing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to get to hear some of your music today and just tell everybody, cause I think your musical style is one of my favorites, but tell everybody how you describe the kind of singer songwriting you do now. Um, well, it's, it's definitely evolved, uh, but I have, have traditionally be, been in the world of folk, um, but it's kind of a poppy folk, mm -hmm. and I have historically written on guitar, but my new music is all on piano. So that's kind of an interesting question for me right now. Yeah. Um, cause I feel like it's a, it's a new thing Well, it's after funny. all these years. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny at this stage in all of our careers, musician or not, it's not an easy question to answer, right? Like I sure. started out as a writer and now I'm a podcaster. So yes. Yeah. Um, well, we're excited to hear some of your music in just a little bit, but we are talking today about infertility. And of course your story is unique to you doesn't represent every, you know, every story about infertility, but I would love for you to just kind of tell it in your own words, go back to when you started struggling to conceive and I will, I'll guide you and kind of jump in with questions, but I would just, I know, I know this is a powerful story and I would love to hear you tell it. Um, sure. I always wanted to be a mom. Um, I think that's an important point point. Yeah. And, and not everybody does, you know, but I always pictured my life with children and, uh, I, I feel like I gave myself a lot of lead with my dreams of being a musician and being on the road. And, um, honestly, I thought that I had time. Mm. Um, I just thought, well, there'll be time for that. Kids, they'll come, it'll, it'll come. And it's interesting when you have a dream because like a music dream that takes you on the road and you're 
you know, that like starving artist <laughs> mentality. Mm -hmm. I think you're always, um, kind of looking at the next iron in the fire and thinking, well, you know, maybe after that happens, then we'll start trying mm -hmm. or maybe after, you know, so, so I kept kind of pushing children back for, for a number of years. Um, cause I wanted to be really full on in my music dream. And then as I got into my mid thirties and my husband and I were married, I got married at 28. Okay. Um, and we were on the road together. I guess that's an important thing to know. Mm -hmm. Is that he my is husband's also a musician? He's also a musician. Um, and so we toured together full time. Um, and as I got older, I just thought, you know, it's time to try to start trying. And, and I don't know what that looks like. And I had a lot of, um, emotional baggage about not knowing how I was going to do music and motherhood. And, mm -hmm. and that's a whole other, whole other podcast. Mm -hmm. But, um, so then we started trying and, and it's funny because you think that as a, as a young woman, even as a high schooler, I remember thinking about sex and pregnancy and thinking, well, if you do it once you can get pregnant. Right. Like <laughs> we are sort of told, told that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of like the scared, scared, you know, abstinent sort of right. thing. Like if you do it once you could have a baby, like, and so I think most women go into it that way. Like we, we think, okay, I'm going to, and I was no different. Like I thought, well, as soon as we start trying, like we're going to, you know, I'm going to go off my birth control and we're just going to do this thing and we're going to make a baby because that's how that happens. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you go off the birth control and you wait and you wait and month after month. And, and at first you try to like, just not think about it. Are you okay? Well, it didn't work out or, you know, and then you, for me, my personality, I, you know, started to get worried <clears throat> and, and then, you know, you get a lot of, I had had a lot of, um, critical voices, mm -hmm. um, in my thirties and my early thirties about waiting. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, don't wait too long or, you know, TikTok, like, you know, that, because, you know, people are so rude and they ask yeah. you, well, why aren't you guys having children yet? Yeah. So you've been married for several years. And I mean, and don't people start asking you that the minute you get married, yeah. like, when are you, when are you going to give them some grandchildren? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, when are you going to get out of my bedroom? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> when are you going to get out of my life decisions? Yeah. Like, so, uh, so we, we started trying and just, it, it wasn't happening. And I, uh, tried to stay calm mm -hmm. <laughs> month after month. Um, and it's such a, uh, how would I describe it? It's such a <sighs> stressful, but it, it's, it's month after month, you yeah. know, it's like you, for, for a woman who ovulates regularly, um, and has regular periods, you have a four week, yeah. roughly 28 day reminder that you're not pregnant every yep. single time. And, and I would imagine and, there's kind of a swing, like a buildup of anticipation and, and hope, and then sort of the disappointment. And then it starts over again. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I mean, in, in, and not in terribly graphic terms, but yeah, then there's okay. the blood, yeah. you know, it's like that, that red signal every month that you didn't do it, that yeah. it didn't work, you know? And, um, we were musicians. We, had no insurance of any kind, no health insurance. And so after a year or so, I kept thinking, well, maybe it's time to get some tests done or what's going on. But I knew I was ovulating. I was having regular periods. <clears throat> I hadn't had PCOS or mm -hmm. any sort of, you know, cysts or endometriosis, you know, like there was all sorts of, my mother had had a hysterectomy at 36, okay. um, and a full hysterectomy because of cysts in her uterus. Okay. And so I suspected because all that kind of stuff is really genetic, um, I thought, well, maybe there's something like that, but I'd had my normal well checks and nothing was, you know, my normal mm -hmm. yearly annuals and nothing, you know, nothing was, was disturbing. And, and my doctor just kept saying, well, just, you know, keep trying. And, and at this trying. point you're, are you like 35 at this yeah, point? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 35 ish, mm -hmm. like probably in 35, 30 going into 36. By the time I was 36, I had started tracking everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was doing it all by myself. I was doing, <clears throat> taking my temperature, checking my mucus, um, you know, yep. reading obsessively reading blogs and internet information, um, which is really not your friend. I mean, I think you can build community, but it can make you real crazy yeah. in that process. Um, and I just, and I started trying to lose weight. I've, you know, I've struggled with weight and body stuff my whole life. And so I've been up and down the scale and, you know, 
got a lot of messages about, well, maybe it's cause you're overweight, you know, okay, well maybe I should be thinner, you know? Mm-hmm. So I lost a hundred pounds. Oh, wow. Um, and I thought, well, this is it, you know, if, if, if it was weight, then this is, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I fixed that, that, you know? box, right. Yeah. And, and it just, it just didn't happen. And we did not have the money at the time to do any, any extra anything. And on my, um, 37th birthday, I woke up not pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was at the Kerrville Folk Festival and I was performing and I got my period that morning and I was devastated. Mm -hmm. And I, I just was so at the end of myself. (laughs) Can we jump in? I would love for you to talk a little bit about your marriage and your partnership during that time. I mean, I know that is an entire other podcast as well, but you're, you've just described a period of, you know, two or three years or a year and a half or whatever it was. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. Um, so talk about the partnership part of that during that, you know, and take that in whatever direction you want. Sure. Um, I think that fertility is just brutal on a marriage. Yeah. And, um, it, I think it's an important side note really quick here mm-hmm. to acknowledge that there's male infertility and female infertility. I don't, I have not experienced male infertility in my marriage, so I don't know what that feels like and really am not qualified to speak to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I only know what it feels like to be the woman whose body isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it was so lonely. And my husband, David is incredibly tender and he listens well (laughs) and he's in tune. You know, I feel like, um, especially at that time in our marriage, he really heard me. We had, we were on the road together. We had nothing but time together. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was a well covered topic of conversation Mm. and I was emotionally processing Mm -hmm. as month after month after month, you know, and he was listening to me. Um, but it is a very, very lonely thing to go through Mm -hmm. as a woman. Um, and to feel like your your partner, the person that you love that you committed to kind of under a certain guise of terms, Mm -hmm. right? Like you both knew that you wanted this thing, Mm -hmm. uh, that was family. And you both acknowledged, yes, we want kids. And that was part of what you discussed before you made the the yeah. covenant with each other. You know, it's like, yes, this is the thing. And, and then you can't hold up your end of the bargain. Mm. And so it's incredibly, I just felt really guilty. And I felt guilty that the time wasn't working out and that our years were slipping away. Mm. And the older that we got, it felt like I was taking something from him, you know, and that, and the, and the strain that it puts on a marriage is just formidable. Yeah. I mean, it just every month your you know your your sex life becomes a science experiment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, well, let's time it out. Is the mucus right? Is the okay, babe? Like you know, and for us, it was like we were on the road, so it was like okay, the gig is over. Okay, we got to go have sex right now <laughs> in someone else's house or in a hotel room or in this Airbnb sort of place. Like okay, let's do that thing. I mean, it was just it was crazy. Like that's, it's crazy. And, and we're, again, we're talking about three years, not, yes. you know, I have experienced that for five or six months and kind of seen the, the hilarity and the frustration and the range of emotions. But I would imagine that the, the length of time we're talking about is really, really impactful on even the strongest of relationships. So I'm, I'm glad you were willing to speak to that. I didn't mean to <laughs> sidetrack you. Oh, we no. we left off on your 37th birthday. Yeah. So it was my 37th birthday. I was playing the Kerbal Folk Festival and I woke up bleeding. Mm -hmm. And um, we had done all the things that month to try to ensure a pregnancy and it hadn't happened. And I don't, I don't quite remember, honestly, but it could have been one of those months where I was a few days late. Mm. You know, there's your body is so mean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The process is so brutal that way. Like you'll, you're, you're, you've got everything written down in a spreadsheet, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's all, it's all there. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I should be bleeding by now. Is it happening? Am I pregnant? It's too early to test. Is it, you know, to, to, to say that your mind is in, just consumed with the process and the questions and the hope and the sadness, you know, is, is really putting it lightly. Um, cause it just doesn't ever leave you yeah. during that time. And so, so when I woke up bleeding, I, uh, I was done. Mm-hmm. I was so tired. 
I was really discouraged and I felt like I'm a real personal growth person. And I felt like, am I just railing against this thing that I'm never supposed to have? Mm. Like, am I just supposed to go make records? And that had been my people for years had been asking us rudely where Mm -hmm. our children were. (laughs) And, um, I had kind of developed a way to kind of deflect it. And I just said, you know, I make records, not babies, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like just kind of like, please stop talking to me about this. Like, um, and so, so I thought, well, maybe this is just a sign that I am supposed to, I'm 37. Like you start, the older you get, you start to think if I had a baby now, then I would be this old when the baby was graduating from high school. And I would be that like, you think about what am I signing the kid up for? What am I signing? Like, this is the rest of my lot. You know, like you just, you, it, it just kind of makes you crazy in your brain. But I, uh, so I, I surrendered the idea of being ever having children that day. And I was just exhausted from it and so sad. But I just thought, you know what? I give up. Like, I can't. I needed a break from the circus of the mental gymnastics and the emotional roller coaster of the process of trying to manage my own fertility and my own conception process. It's like a job. It is. So the week that I got back from Kerrville, I had started actually recording my last studio record that I made in 2000. We recorded in 2011 and it was released in 2012. And so I was in the studio and we went to dinner with a friend who is a physician and she'd been following my fertility struggles and was super, gosh, just always wants to help, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we were talking about it and what could be going on and why, if we thought I was ovulating, why I wouldn't be conceiving without any known, Mm -hmm. you know, fertility issues like PCOS or, and so she said, you know what, I am going to call the head of reproductive medicine at OU. She's a friend and I'm going to just, I'm just going to run this by her. She was like, you know, I think the the easiest thing we should do is get David tested because we'd never had David tested, Mm -hmm. but we suspected that it was my fault. (laughs) And so we had him tested and she got his results back. And and that's like the cheapest thing you can do. It was like, I mean, I want to say it was like $120 to get his his sperm tested uh, for motility. And so she, we, so we did that. And when the test got back, she was like, okay, I see these and everything looks good, but I'm just going to check with my friend at OU about this one thing. And I just want to ask her about what she would recommend for you. And so she called her and then she called me back and she said, and I was in the studio. I'll never forget. I was sitting there my producer was recording drum tracks <laughs> and, um, I get this call and I step out and she said, Hey, she was like, I just talked to Dr. Craig at OU and she, uh, just opened up a study for in unexplained infertility. Cause it's a, it's a research hospital, a okay. teaching hospital. And she said, she just opened up a study and she said that if you'll call the office, um, and tell her them that she asked you to call that they will see if you would be a candidate to kind of see what's going on and maybe get some free fertility treatments. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so funny. It's five days from the day that I just laid it down mm-hmm. and was like, forget it. Like yeah. I can't, right. I can't do this by myself. Like I'm, I'm done. It, it's not meant to be, I guess I'm laying down my dream of having children. Like this is it, you know? And then here comes this, you know, this other thing. And Did you, so, can I, can I ask when you had that moment of kind of surrender or acceptance, was there a part of you in the back of your mind that said, maybe acceptance is part of the strategy of getting there? Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, was there, was it, was it truly, was it kind of like you were setting aside the pain that comes with hoping or was it really like you really thought this wasn't going to happen and you were just moving forward or a little bit of both? Um, I think in retrospect, I would say a little bit of both, but in that moment I was really giving up mm-hmm. like emotionally. I was like, I can't do, I'm, I'm done. Like yeah. I'm at the end of myself with this. And I had just, I also was like, as I think most of us aware women are, you know, I was after I was really going after in my personal life, 
self-care and radical kindness and the idea that like, I didn't have to put myself through the ringer on every single thing, my perfectionism. And right. So in that moment, I thought I just need to stop. I need a break. Like I can't, I'm, I'm just done. I just felt like I was trying to put a square peg in a round hole and I was tired. So it felt like almost an act of kindness to yourself. Really, Just saying like, Casey, you can stop. It's okay. Um, and Oh, no, go ahead. No, you're fine. Um, I was going to, I want to play a little bit of the song Broken Things because I think it speaks to, well, I know it does. You told me and I've listened to it. Um, (laughs) This this kind of uh, battle between perfectionism and acceptance. And I wonder if you want to set up the song for us and also kind of talk about this whole three years of trying is really like, it's you're after an, you know, what was at the time, almost an unattainable idea. You have to keep showing up month after month. And at the same time, you're trying to accept what is, I mean, really hard, hard work. So I don't know if you want to talk about that and just set up a little bit of this song. Yes, absolutely. Well, and you hit the nail on the head when you said you're trying to accept what is. Yeah. I was working with a therapist at the time and we were talking about learning how to love what is Mm. not just accept it, Mm. but learning how to say, call it good. Mm -hmm. And I had a a person once tell me that you have expectations. And if you think of that in a really high place, Mm -hmm. and then you have reality and you think of that on a lower plane and that the gap in between them is anxiety. Oh man. There's like got a little bit of <laughs> goosebumps there. <laughs> it's like, oh, like I often joke like, oh, yes, I own a home there. Like right. you know, <laughs> in that space, in that wide open yes. space. <laughs> Me too. Are we neighbors? Like, I think we are. We were meant to be. But like that place of like, oh, oh, yes. Oh, I live. I, yes, I have owned that space, that, that, uh, that place of not being able to come to terms, come to life on life's terms, but mm. always trying to get it to be something different. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, this song broken things was kind of this feeling of, well, you know, when we're talking about fertility, I was, I felt like the broken thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like I felt like the thing that was like, this is all I have. Like I, this is who I am. And I am trying so hard to change because the thing about fertility is that you think you can control it. Mm because of those messages from when we were kids, like Mm. you do it once you get a baby, Mm -hmm. like you better not do it. You're going to get yourself pregnant. Like, and you think, Oh, all I have to do is this. It's like going to the store. I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy bow tie pasta because there's an aisle and a place where you get to go choose that for yourself Mm. and fertility. You think you have that sort of control over it. And the truth for some of it is that some of us is that we super don't Mm -hmm. like there's a mystical part of it. And so my coming, bringing my expectations, of my life and what it was going to look like and my chance to be a mom, you know, into a place of peace and acceptance and reality was a difficult, difficult struggle. Well, and I think that, so even those of us who haven't been through infertility can feel what that feels like when there's that, that gap between expectations and reality. I think so many moms relate to that. Okay. So should we listen to a little bit of broken things? Let's do. I'm ice and I am fire. You are meek and mad. Wanna drink your cool water when I bear you a child. Some wishes never get to might just be the death of me Somewhere between hell and sheer happiness There's a house by the ocean side And we'll fill it with dreams and all the broken things That the morning washed in with the tide Oh my goodness I know you said that is a fan favorite, um, and I'm so glad our listeners got to hear that. And of course, at the end of today's show and in the show notes, we'll make sure everybody knows how to go listen to the rest of that song and all your music. But let's come back to um, this moment where you saw some some potential, some potential help and how that led to little Beatrice. 
Yeah. So I've made that call from the recording studio. I called the <laughs> the office that day and, um, talked to a sweet woman at the front. She's like, okay, I need to get some information from you. And then we will call you back and let you know if you're a candidate for the study. And, and she said, Oh, and by the way, we need to do a bunch of tests on you. They'll all be free. Hmm. <laughs> We're going to do a bunch of tests on you. And then we'll know for sure if you qualify. And I was like, you're going to do like all the tests. She's like, yeah, we need to do this and this. And wow. because we have to figure it out, but it'll, it's just a part of the study. You just get all of that for free. And as like a starving artist yeah. folk person, you know, yeah. we make jokes that like I'm a folk musician. I make tens of dollars yeah. a day, you know, <laughs> like I, I was like, you're going to give me free tests. Like it was just this, like, it's just one of those lessons of like, you lay it down yeah. and see what happens, you know? Um, but so we, so I qualified, you know, fast forward, I had all the tests, they could find nothing wrong, mm -hmm. um, with my fertility in the testing. And they determined that I was a candidate for the study. And the study was, um, testing a combination of medications that were given by injection okay. and IUI, which stands for interuterine insemination. Mm hmm I always say it's the turkey baster method. It is the turkey That's, baster method. That just method. Me, helps me yes. remember the difference in the acronyms. Yep. Totally the turkey baster method. And so basically what that means is they, um, my husband gives a sperm sample um, in, in clinic and then they take it via sort of a glorified turkey baster. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I took a series of shots. And so I would have shots. They had to teach me how to give myself shots in the stomach um, when my we were, I'll never forget. We were in this exam room with the sweetest nurse who ended up being like our person at the fertility clinic. Her name is Michelle. Mm. And she brought in this sharps container and, you know, the red sharps box and a whole thing of needles. And then she, like a fake bottle of to show us how, and she's like showing David, assuming that he was going to be the person to do it and help. And she's like, so you pull back some air and you push it in. And David just looked at it. Like she like was doing her thing and looks up at him and he's just white as oh, a no. sheet. And he was like, I, 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 I I can't like, I can't, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can't, do, I can't give you shots. Like I can't do this. And I was like, and I was really, I was kind of pissed mm -hmm. at the moment. Cause I was like, Oh, of course you can't like, yes, of course. Like, please let this be on me. You know? <laughs> right. I'll take <laughs> this so, one. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. So I'm like, step aside, like Michelle, show me what I need to do. Like I want kids bad enough to give myself multiple shots a day in the stomach. Let's do this there's no, there's no time for being a weenie about yeah. it. Let's go, you know, like, so, um, I don't think I've ever said the word weenie in a sentence <laughs> until that moment. So that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but so she showed me how to give myself shots and I had a regimen of shots, you know, fertility treatments are a ton of blood work, a yeah. ton of ultrasounds. Um, I remember that first cycle, I was so afraid cause she was, Dr. Craig was waiting for my follicles to mature and they're doing you know, regular ultrasounds like every two to three days and they're checking the size of your follicles and they're measuring them like on ultrasound and you see them growing and you wow. see ones come and go and you learn so much about how the body works and it's super fascinating. Um, and I remember thinking, cause she was like, okay, I think we're going to, you know, up your medicine here and we're going to wait a couple more days. And I was kind of past what would normally have been my ovulation window. And I looked at Dr. Craig kind of anxiously and I said, well, what if I, is my body going to ovulate? Like, what if it ovulates and I miss it? You know, like <laughs> I was so like hopeful that it was going to work. And she said, Oh, she's like, Casey, I want you to think of your, uh, your body kind of like a car. And I have hijacked the operating system wow. to your car and I am driving. And she was like, those follicles are not going to go anywhere until I tell them to. And we're going to tell them to by this trigger shot that you'll take at a very specific time of day, like 36 hours before we do. It was, it was just like this whole, wow. you know, she was like, so I am in charge. So you don't need to worry that your body's going to like do something. You know, she's like, as, as much as I can be, I'm driving the car. Wow. What an interesting shift for you <laughs> having that, right. like that, you know, feeling of needing to control for so long, feeling like you and your body were somehow not on the same page and have somebody say, I I'm in control. That's yeah. Wow. It, it was fascinating. And it was so relieving. Mm, I bet. 
like I didn't have to write anything down. Yeah. <laughs> there were no spreadsheets. Someone else was handling the process for me. And, and I was just like, okay, I trust you. And, um, and she, you know, she was so awesome. Dr. Craig, her name's Latasha Craig at OU reproductive medicine. And I have to give her a shout out yeah. because she gave me my family oh. and her willing to like her willingness to be honest with me, like brutally honest about where we were, but also, just like aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, she knew that I wanted children and that I was willing to put my body through whatever that took to get them. And she was like, okay, let's do this. You know, like, so she wasn't afraid to push, push the limits. And yeah. so miraculously we conceived Beatrice, um, on the very first cycle and I had cleared my tour schedule. So like they said, okay, you, you're, you're in this study and you need to come off the road. We need you to commit four months to us. Well, I was our income. And so it was like, you need to come off the road. So I came off, I cleared my schedule, cleared my calendar for four months. And David got an adjunct teaching position at a school of rock, like college Mm -hmm. of rock. And we like counted our pennies (laughs) and made it work. And then I got pregnant on the first cycle. And the moment that they called to tell me, you know, you have a blood test on a certain day to determine your HCG levels. And it's kind of like, it'll show before a stick, before you pee on a stick and all of that, you know. And it was January, uh, January 3rd was the day that I found out that I'll, I'll never forget it, that I was pregnant with Beatrice and, um, that she was due in September. And, and then, you know, and I had never, I'd never been pregnant. Yeah. I mean, I, I had never heard those words. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. Um, and it was like, are you, it worked? Like I just, I yeah. was just floored. Just Lord, like happy new year. (laughs) It is a new year. It is a new time. You get to be pregnant. And of course, then as a 30, by then I was, well, I was still 37, I guess. And and I thought, oh, now I have to stay pregnant. Right. Because you have all those women who who conceive and miscarry and all the losses that so many women experience with infertility. And so then I didn't know if my body could stay pregnant. Yeah. Right. Like, and so so there's just, so it's like, okay, let's pile on another level yes, of fear another, and trusting. Another and- <laughs> like big gap between expectations and potent- what you can control. And yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. (laughs) And their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. I am back with Casey Clifford talking about her infertility journey. So let's let's get back in. And I, I want to kind of fast forward Beatrice's pregnancy and kind of yeah. fa- get to the moment where you are now a brand new mom, which is something a lot of our listeners can relate to, however <laughs> they got there with, you know, with fertility struggles or not. And yeah. adjusting to new motherhood is no joke, especially when you are also a business owner, a musician, Mm -hmm. you're part of a marriage, you are now 38. Like what, what role did the, the infertility journey, how, how was, how did that have a seat at the table in your adjustment to new motherhood? Um, I think my answer to that is, is twofold. One is new motherhood was terrifying for me. And it wasn't until I got some 
retrospect, some hindsight on it, that I realized that I had put everything on the line to create her. Mm -hmm. And then here she was, and I didn't want to ruin her (laughs) or kill her or, you know, like, you know, she had all sorts of, um, Beatrice is a sensory kid, but we didn't know it until she was two. And so infancy was really difficult because you could meet all of her needs that you thought you were supposed to meet and she would still be unhappy. Um, and feeding was difficult. And so, um, so even in those, the, just those early weeks were really brutal, mm-hmm. like trying to breastfeed. My milk didn't establish. Yeah. I was older. You know, I met with a hundred lactation consultants yeah. who most of whom shamed me. Like, and then finally someone said, you know, Casey, there's no wrong way to feed your baby. Oh, good. Like, and then my doctor looked at me and was like, Casey, um, mental health wise, we're not doing it this way. Like, yeah. we're not going to do the crazy. Like we're going to integrate her. You're going to give her what you can at the breast. We're going to do the bottle and she's going to be okay. Like, and so really kind of having people surrounding me who were my village, who helped me see kind of the light of sanity. But I think because of what I had been through fertility wise, I, it all felt the stakes were so high. Yes. I can see that. And, and, and so, so I've had kind of a, and I don't think, obviously that has, has, calmed down Mm -hmm. in the last almost seven years. Um, I'm much calmer and confident in myself as a mom. Um, but I, cause I almost had this thing where I was like, do I not deserve to be here? Do I have what she needs? Mm -hmm. Do I, can I, you know, I had kind of this whole emotional becoming a mom awakened a lot of worth issues for me Mm -hmm. that were dormant for a long time, which is not a fertility discussion. We can have that discussion (laughs) another time. But so the other way that it has radically affected my parenting is, um, you don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Um, I have gratitude and joy and I am in awe of my kids every single minute that I get to be with them, even when they're being really rude or ill-behaved. Like I, I look at them and I still get chills at the thought of them and their existence because they were the thing I never thought I would get. Um, and so it really does color my parenting because I, people think, gosh, Casey, you're so patient or you're, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, I just want them to know how valuable they are. Mm -hmm. Like I just, they exist and it's the most wonderful thing. And I want them to be known and seen and heard. And Mm -hmm. like, so, so I think I approach parenting. I hope I do anyway, most days with a a sense of wonder at it all. And I value them in a way that most moms who just have sex and create a baby, they don't, they don't have that same level. Yeah. And I think other, other moms who went through the infertility journey, I'm, I'm sure that's a common feeling. Like it just puts things in perspective, the tantrums and the, the, you know, the little things. Yeah. I mean, I remember throwing up when I was pregnant and David was like at the bathroom door, like, Oh God, babe, I'm so sorry. You're morning sick. And I stood up and I was like, I'm throwing up. Yes. Like, you know, Oh my gosh. I, and it's the same thing when they were like, look, look at this poopy diaper. I never thought I'd get to do this. Like it just, you know, it's a thing you never thought you'd get. And so you appreciate it in a different way. I love that. I love that. Well, let's talk about your secondary infertility because you, and I don't even know if that's clinically the right term. I know maybe that's more for people who conceived easily the first time and then have trouble the second time, but, um, talk about little Hollis and how he came to be after, after all this. Sure. Well, um, when Beatrice was one, uh, about one and a half, actually, I guess we decided that we would start trying and we wanted to try again. Um, we knew we wanted to, if possible, if the, the God and science would give us that. Mm -hmm. And, um, Dr. Craig had said, you know, sometimes, uh, infertility people who've struggled with infertility, once they conceive and carry a baby to term, you can have kind of a physical reproductive reset button. And so she was like, I would encourage you to try for a few months on your own and see if it happens, but don't go more than about three months before. If you, if you're not pregnant come see me. And so we weren't pregnant. My body didn't come with one of those reset buttons Mm -hmm. and um, so we went back to her and met with her and she's like, you know, I think that since IUI and and this specific course of meds and injections worked for you, let's try that again. Um, and it costs this much and it's not free this time. And, you know, so it's like we had to kind of 
um, rally our troops yeah. and um, our our money and our family helped some. Um, and so we started to have IUIs. And honestly, because of the way that it worked with B, I thought, well, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time we're going to do it, this the first time. And and then it didn't. Um, and then the second time it didn't. And by the third time I was really, really disheartened. Um, actually, uh, ironically enough, um, my found out my treatment had failed while at the Kerrville Folk Festival. Um, and uh, we ended up coming home from the festival early that year because I just kind of couldn't emotionally, when you're pumping your body full of hormones that aren't normally there and you're jacking with your, you know, the doctor has hijacked your system, you know, like, um, that has a toll on your body, on your tolerance for people and the elements of life, you know, whether it it affects everything Mm -hmm. and you are on a roller coaster physically, hormonally, emotionally, all of it. Mm -hmm. And so it can't be underscored enough. Mm -hmm. The toll that that takes and so we ended up going through four and I had, by then I had started doing, um, acupuncture for fertility. Like I was trying to do, like I was doing you're, supplements. You were back like, on the, like, we're going to fix this, but yes, you know, round two with different information yeah. and yeah. And why isn't it working? Right. And I don't understand. And all Dr. Craig could say was, well, you're older, you're almost 40. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, like. So we, uh, we went through our fourth treatment and it, and it actually, uh, gave us, it was excruciating because it gave us a positive blood test. Um, and then we weren't pregnant. It was like a chemical pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was like a sick joke (laughs) from the universe. Um, and so we had a consult with Dr. Craig after the fourth round and the way that IUIs work, at least back then, I'm, I'm guessing the science is similar now, but that they, your chances are the same over four tries. Okay. And then after the fourth try, your chances start to go down, down, down. Okay. And like the average healthy woman, when she has sex in the right time period, she has about a 25% chance of getting pregnant. Okay. Um, for me, my chances normally, even with help, we're like less than 10%, like in like the 4% range. Okay. Um, and so I don't know how they get all those numbers. Yeah. Um, so, but your chances were going down and down and down the more IUIs you tried and they're expensive. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, well we can't do this again. And she kind of just looked at me. and was like, we're at the end of the road. And I think we need to do IVF. And, um, you know, you need to decide if you can afford it. And if you, you want to go through it, it's pretty rigorous. And, Um, and I had told David that I knew I would know when I was done, Mm -hmm. you know, that I would emotionally know I was going to trust my gut to tell me when I couldn't do it any more treatments. And I hadn't reached that point. And my parents agreed to help us Mm -hmm. with IVF. And so, um, my dad was like, we'll do one, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I was so grateful and overwhelmed at their generosity. Um, and so we, uh, started my treatments on my 40th birthday, (laughs) which I don't recommend, um, (laughs) on a lot of levels. (laughs) And, um, a month later, and so, so we, you know, so we went through, you know, IVF. So IVF is like, they, you actually, you're on medicine before your treatments start because they're hijacking your system Mm -hmm. early and they're preparing your body. And then you go on really high doses of hormones because they're trying to stimulate as many eggs, as many follicles as they can in Mm -hmm. both ovaries to then go in and have a surgical procedure where they take a giant like cartoon size needle and they stick it through the side of your vaginal wall up into your ovaries and they suck all the follicles, all the eggs out of each ovary and you're under anesthesia. Um, And I remember I was under, and it's like one of those ones where they wake you up fast. Like you don't remember it, but like you're not, I don't know what they call it, but it was like, you know, one of those anesthesias, (laughs) super technical medical terms, one of those. Um, but I woke up and in front of me on the wall, there's this like ticker counter thing and it has a number. And when I had gone to sleep, it had said zero. And when I woke up, it said 23. And it was something that was attached to the lab. And as they were getting follicles out of the needles, they were tallying their oh, wow. count. And so I looked up and knew that I had, we had achieved 23 eggs. Okay. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. Like we have 23. 
And, um, so what they do is they begin, they fertilize, you know, David had given a sample, they fertilize those. The surgery was much harder on my body than I thought. I thought like I would be back at it the next morning and it really took a toll on me. It was, that was one of the most surprising parts of the process was how hard that was and how much cramping, how uncomfortable it actually is when they do that to your girl parts. Um, and so, and of course then like your hormone levels drop immediately, right? Like, and so you're going through kind of this physical, like uh, fun house, yeah. of, uh, terrifying fun house yeah. with like scary clowns, right? Like Ugh. scary clown fun yeah. house in your body. And cause you're, and you're at the risk of like, like hyper stimulating because they've given you so much estrogen that your body, you know, kind of goes into overdrive and you can get really sick. And so they're kind of monitoring you. And that next morning I wasn't feeling well and the doctor wanted to see me. So I went in and they, a a doctor and she wasn't there. So one of her fellows was there and he ends up coming in and checking on me for hyperstimulation. But then he was like, Oh, by the way, uh, you had four eggs fertilized. (laughs) You have four embryos. And I had gone from 23 to four overnight and I started to bawl. And he was like so uncomfortable with my emotions <laughs> that he left the room oh my gosh. and sent a nurse in to help me, which was hilarious. And I was like, what do you mean for? And like, and then he, and then she was like, he wasn't even really supposed to tell you that Dr. Craig was going to call you late. You know, it was like, oh my gosh. And so, and then they grade your embryos. And they give you like, which is weird. Yeah. Like there's like A plus to like D minus or something. And another thing to measure yourself and right, feel great right. about. <laughs> yeah. Because my embryos even need grades. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, she's like, don't be too concerned about the grades. They can shift an embryo can improve or decrease its viability overnight. And so then they're sending you like pictures of your little cells, oh you know, gosh. multiplying, like almost like an ultrasound, right? I have an uh-huh. ultrasound of Hollis. Wow. In, in, you know, a cell form. Yeah. And, uh, then every day they call you and they say, here's where your embryos are. This is how many survive. So by the second day, I only had three that were surviving and they were like B plus down to C. And then by the third day, um, one of them had improved And then on the fourth day, she was like, okay, we're ready. Your embryos are ready to implant. So we have the implantation that happened that day. And she went ahead and implanted three embryos, um, which was a little aggressive, but I wanted her to do that Mm -hmm. because I wanted a baby and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go through Mm -hmm. this again. Yeah. And, and because she was like, I've never had a set of, uh, triplets with a 40 year old, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like everyone knocking on wood, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's a first time for everything. (laughs) Totally. Um, and so she did my implantation and then we waited, you know, it's like another two week wait. And, um, I'll never forget in the middle of that, uh, I haven't ever really told this story, but in somewhere, gosh, like in this, in the first week of waiting, my, I started to bleed. Oh, wow. And I was like on my knees, devastated. Like yeah. this is, oh my God, I'm, it's not working. And, and literally friends, I think David must've sent a text message or something. Cause we had like kind of our village of people who were watching out for yeah. us through it and kind of walking in. It was my birthday week. And it was yeah. like, and so <laughs> birthday month, we were celebrating with people and and people like showed up at my door wow. and like sat with me and they're like, no, we're not, we're, we're believe there's going to be a baby. I'll never forget. My friend Amy was like, she lives four doors down from me. And she was like, um, just so you know, we're having a baby shower <laughs> for this baby at my house and I am planning it in my head and this is going to happen. And like that moment where like the village rose up mm-hmm. around me when I couldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And then I was pregnant. Yeah. Wow. And it was implantation bleeding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I guess, which was, it was a little weirdly timed implantation yeah. bleeding for what it was. But, um, but then they called me and said, you're pregnant and you're, it worked. Oh and gosh. I was floored. Um, I would love to shift and talk about because music and being a musician is a central part of your identity. And we've now heard, you know, a, a five, six year period where, you also had this intense personal journey. I'm curious how your songwriting um, and your kind of connection to your craft, I mean, did they overlap and intertwine? Um, was work work and this was separate? How how did those two things interplay? 
I'm sure that there are songwriters for whom their emotions are not involved, (laughs) but I am super not one of those. Um, you know, songwriting has always been an outlet for me and it, it's really a thing that's helped keep me sane. And this was no exception. Um, I think being able to talk about the reality of what we were going through and how hard it was and acknowledging the hard and then eventually acknowledging the hard publicly, yeah. uh, you know, from stage and kind of addressing it with people and then seeing the effect that being vulnerable and standing in your story, what that does to other people and how that frees them up to live in their own truth and to kind of by telling my story and singing about my story, I took my power back. I I took the power that I had given over to the traumatic experience Mm -hmm. of going through all of that. And I took a little bit of it back and I decided that I got to kind of choose how it ends and Mm -hmm. choose how I see it and frame it. So what does Um, that look like in a concert? Like if I came to a show and you played a couple of songs and I'm sure you tell the story before the song and kind of set it up. Are people crying in the audience? Are they coming up to you after? Are you now kind of the voice of other women who share this experience? Yes. I mean, to be clear, yes. And I, I, <laughs> and I don't I, mean that in like, you are no. not the anointed voice of oh, everyone who's no, ever no, gone, no. but, but for that moment, you kind of are, if somebody is in that room and they are not a singer songwriter, they're seeing and hearing themselves through your song. Yeah. And my, you know, my goal here on earth as a person and really as an artist and writer is to help people feel less alone in their lives, one story and one song at a time. And it's not unusual for women or men to come up to me after a show and say, I've never heard you before. A friend brought me, you know, I, I cried four times tonight, (laughs) you know, that song, you, you know, I went through a fertility struggle, you know, my kids are IVF kids or, you know, it's amazing just getting to kind of connect with people on a real human level. We have so much fluff and vitriol and just the, the discourse that we're under is so hurtful Mm-hmm. right now. And so to be a voice that affirms and hears and values real raw vulnerability in, in the beautiful hard mm-hmm. of it, I think is, um, it's, we need more of that. And I'm honored to get to bring a voice to that. I, I really tell my stories so that I can have power back in my own life. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that it was helping other people. And that was this amazing fringe benefit. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. Um, well, before we wrap up, this time has just flown by. Um, but I want to hear a little bit about what you're working on right now in your songwriting. Um, and we definitely will send everybody, everybody will have all the links of where to find you. So you don't feel like you have to lay out your tour schedule here on the podcast, but, um, (laughs) what are you working on right now? What's, what's filling you up work-wise? Um, and how's, how's being a musician working mom right now with a seven and a four-year-old? Um, I feel like how it is changes every day depending on the mood or development milestone of my children. But, uh, I am the most exciting thing that's happening for me work rise right now is that I am setting up to release my seventh album. It's the first studio album that I've made since that phone call, uh, that told me I got into the study to have B and so seven years in the making, you know, in those years I thought, am I ever going to do this again? You know, up nights at 3am with children. I didn't know what it was going to look like. We tried to tour with B and she just wasn't, she wasn't suited for it. And, um, so we kind of had to back up and re regroup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so now here the kids are seven and four and they're, you know, it just kind of a totally different season, season of life. Like we just kind of hit the, the light at the end of the tunnel yep. of like infancy <laughs> and toddlerhood yep. and like Hollis is potty trained. It's like, Oh, and he doesn't nap anymore. And, you know, B like has more regulation than she's had before. And so it's like, Oh my gosh, I could actually do this. Mm-hmm. I could actually start to have the headspace. And so I've written this record and, um, it's all, 
on piano. So it's a totally different thing than I've ever done before. And we are putting all the finishing touches on the artwork and the videos and the content of it right now. And, um, it will begin to release to streaming services, um, coming in the coming months and then will be officially released everywhere for sale, um, after the first of the year in, in early 2020. Okay. And we're so. going to get to hear, but I'll, I'll tease this. I'm not kicking you out just yet, but no, for good. listeners, we're going to play, um, one song in its entirety from that new album. The song is called worth the wait. And so you're going to want to listen all the way to the end because <laughs> that is like, that's a real preview, right? I didn't realize yes. the album won't really be out, out for quite a while. So that's it a won't. treat for our listeners. Yeah. And it's the very first thing anyone has heard anywhere of the record, Ooh. literally like only my very closest people have heard anything. And so this is the first public debut of a single on the record oh, here on the mom hour. I don't think I realized that I knew we were going <laughs> to give a, a wonderful preview, but, um, well, let's talk about that song a little bit then, yeah. because we're, yeah. Um, I, I wrote worth the wait, um, as a song, I realized that as I stand up night after night and r- write things on the internet that will stay there forever, mm-hmm. um, yeah, whether I like it or not, that uh, that I was telling the story of how hard and painful and heartbreaking it was to go through the process of making my kids. And I never wanted my children to happen upon some of my writing and think that they had hurt me Mm. or that they were a mistake or that they were too hard. Right. That they cost you you in in some way. Yeah. Yeah. That they were the reason that I had suffered. And so I wanted to write a song that was just unwaveringly true about how much I would do every single piece of it again, if it meant that I got to have them in the end. Right. And I wanted them to have this touchstone piece of art that their mom had done that they could go back and hear like, you were worth it. Like I would, I would every, every needle, every ultrasound, every bloody morning, like (laughs) I would do 100% of it over and over and over again, if it meant that I got to behold your face and know your sweet heart and personalities and get to watch you grow and figure out who you are. Like, so yeah, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. And, um, probably one you're now four years past even that second experience. And I would imagine you couldn't have written that song in the, when, with little babies and toddlers, it almost took the, (laughs) took the, the time to process and to start to think about what is the rest of this story going to, going to be. And what is the story my kids are going to um, interpret? I think that's something a lot of moms start to think about when their kids get older. It's like, Oh wait, they, they are going to read the internet and, you know, (laughs) participate in the, in this world. And, um, so I love that that's a continuation of their story. Um, well, Casey, tell everybody where to find you online, the simplest place. And then in our show notes, we will link up, um, everything people need to know to find your current records. Um, or I mean the records that are out there right now and your website and all that, but what's the easiest place to send them? Yeah. The easiest place kind of as a hub is caseyclifford.com. It's my website and it can get you everywhere else typically. And, um, my name is initial, so it's a K and a C Clifford. Um, so not C-A-S-E-Y, like it sounds. Right. (laughs) Um, well, we are just so thankful that you took the time to share your story today. Um, and listeners stick around and you're going to hear the full first Um, airing or release of Worth the Wait by Casey Clifford. And Casey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. There were sleepless nights My strength was gone and my patience was tried I was sure of hope There was so much more that I wanted from life And who
everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening, and left the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.